Good evening, everyone. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Chris. If I haven't met you yet, um, do come and say hello at the end. Um, just in case you don't know, did we say that like afterwards we always do like pizza and drinks and stuff? And the idea is that um, as this kind of community grows, that we get an opportunity to stick around, to get to chat, and to get to know each other as well. Um, you all having a good Easter weekend? Yeah, the sun's finally out. That's nice, isn't it? Um, tomorrow, I, I'm very blessed. I get to fly off to California for six days. I know, the Lord is good. Um, and if you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that um, we're in a series called Who Are We? And this is kind of part of that series, and it's, I've titled it Who Are We? We are children of the resurrection. Um, and part of what we're doing is looking at who we are as our identity. Uh, who's our, who are we formed in the image of God, um, doing our best as a group of people to follow Jesus. Um, and so, but what I want to do as part of this is I just wanted to share with you something that God's been impressing on me about my identity as his child over the last few weeks. So as I said, tomorrow, 12.30 flight, 12.35, get on a flight a direct flight as well, all the way over to California to get six days of retreat with just me, um, a book or two, um, God, and maybe visiting a few friends because I used to live out there a few years ago. Um, but to be honest, it took me a while to persuade myself that it was okay to do this, um, to go on a retreat. I mean, nobody believes me it's a retreat when you tell them to go to California. They expect it to be hardship and it's not hardship. But that's where it took me a while to persuade myself that, um, well, for God to persuade me to do it. Um, I love California. I'd happily go every year that I possibly could. Um, but I found that this year, for some reason, I had like a real longing to go. Have you ever had that? Where sometimes there's just this longing in you to go and do something or to see people or do that sort of thing. And at some point, I felt God ask me, um, why are you denying the desire in your heart? And I explained to him, I was like, God, I've got to justify this to my wife that I'm leaving her and our child. Um, you know, there's a cost to it. There's also a cost to the planet with flying for such a short space of time. Um, and also, of course I want to go. Like it felt like maybe God wasn't even talking to me about it. It's just my desire to do it at all, to do it at all. And I felt God say to me, um, but what if I put that desire in you? What if I want you to go? What if I want to bless you? Um, it sounds great, doesn't it? However, um, God has carried on speaking to me about this trip. Um, and he said to me, son, I want you to trust me. Trust me for the entire trip. I don't want you to do anything other than book the flight, which in his grace he's paid for. Um, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to book accommodation. I don't want you to book transportation. I don't want you to take money. Actually, you know, God said, take a hundred pounds with you. And then the other day, someone came up to me and said, God's told me to give you a hundred pounds for your trip. I'm not allowed to take any bank cards. There's no way out of this unless God turns up. Um, by the way, I'm telling you this before. I'm going to hopefully tell you, hopefully in a two weeks time, how it's gone. Um, but I felt like God saying, I want you to trust me with this entire trip. I want you to rely on me for absolutely everything. Um, and, and he was basically said, I want to be your only option. So I'm going to turn up in San Francisco tomorrow and uh, five hours drive from my destination with no plan other to rely on him. And to be honest, it's a bit scary, if I'm going to be really honest. Um, I've never done it before. I don't really want to do it now, to be honest. I want to go with money and I want to kick back and I want to enjoy the trip. Um, but I did feel God say, will you trust me? 
a bit like that bit in Aladdin, isn't it? Will you, will you trust me? Do you remember that? No? Fine. Tough crowd. <laughs> um, and I just said to God, okay, if this is how I get more of you, if how I get more of you is to surrender control over this week or probably more of my life, if, I'm, if I get more of you, then I'll step back. And I know it's only a week, but there's probably a lot of you, uh, if you're like me, we quite like being in charge of our own life. I quite like making my own way in life, in my own strength, my own independence. And I subconsciously often think, I kind of don't really need you in this, God. Like, I'm fine. I could do this completely in my own strength. But recently, we've been exploring this concept of the fundamental goodness of God underpinning everything. And in that, I felt God nudging me like a beautiful big godly Labrador just in a very kind way saying what if I want to help you you probably never had that image before I'm sorry about that um what if I what if I want to prove to you how trustworthy I am will you let me Chris will you trust me to be the good father that you always talk about I think the reason God is asking me to do this is that although I have a measure of faith and the Bible says that we all have a measure of faith for me to see more of him, more of his kingdom come, he's inviting me into a deeper place of trust, into a deeper place of connection and a deeper place of intimacy with him as a beloved child. And I think to do that, there are moments in our life where he sometimes has to kind of sand off those edges which aren't quite as smooth and as polished as we want to be. And in this instance, I feel like he's saying, I'm going to do that by proving to you that I can, I can trust him. And so like, there's an, this is a, an opportunity for God to show up. I really hope he does. Please pray for me. Um, by the way, I'm also not saying we should all do this. Like, I'm, you know, we've all at different places on our walk with Jesus, on our journey. Some of you may not even be there. You might be checking us out for the first time. If you are, welcome. Stick around and say hello at the end. But we're all on different places of our journey. This is just where God's calling me to at the moment. Um, and on Friday, I was driving and I just felt God say to me, Chris, a heart that doesn't trust God fully doesn't fully know him as a good father. A heart that doesn't trust God fully doesn't know him fully as a good father. But let's be honest, it's hard to trust, isn't it? It's quite hard to trust people. Many of us struggle with being able to trust other people, God, ourselves sometimes, because as always, how we view ourselves and God and each other is formed view, um, the life that we've had, the relationships that we've had, is formed through the experiences that we've had in life. Um, and there are lots of reasons why we don't trust people. Um, and what happens is that beliefs get forged in us, usually from quite an early age. And one of them is that we have, we have this belief in us that I have to be the one to protect myself and to fight for myself. This is one that's quite a deep and common belief. For, from childhood, many of us learned that we may need to protect ourselves. And whilst issues of serious neglect and abuse clearly cause a lot of harm. Even the best intentioned parents sometimes hurt our kids or hurt our, their kids. Sometimes it's a sharp reply or it's maybe unnoticed distress or it could be a reactionary comment and they all tell us as kids this is maybe how we should feel or maybe that the need we had wasn't entirely met or it might have been completely misunderstood. Um, look, let's be honest, all parents are human 
Um, we've all got our preoccupations, our hang-ups in life, our patterns that we've probably received or we're repeating from childhood. Um, but unfortunately, when we're young, we don't have the perception of this, do we? So we then internalise an understanding that we think we need to look after ourselves. We need to protect ourselves because actually fully trusting people can be difficult because they might let us down. This usually gets ingrained in us so early that we actually don't realise that there is another way. We often can think, well, this is just how the world works. This is how my life is. And it can develop something in us that um, the Bible calls an orphan heart. Some churches call it other things. But it's essentially where we feel slightly orphaned. Um, and I'll come on to explain that now. But it's where we find it hard to accept good things. I've shared with you all before, those of you who've been before, that my mum and dad are foster parents. And for years, um, you'd think that birthdays and Christmases would be amazing. Um, and you go to town on these things. But what our experience was is those who have felt unworthy and unloved and just that they don't belong, even if they do, even if they felt that because of their experience, it was always a big letdown. There was nothing that could do. There's no amount of presence. There's no experience you could give that would actually fill that hole in their heart. And it was deeply disappointing for them. And may, we could probably all resonate in our own lives if you've not come from that. It might be that we got the job that we wanted or the relationship or the bank balance and it's still not enough. It still doesn't really fill that hole in our hearts. And so some of us carry this orphan heart with us and it can carry a sense of abandonment or a sense that I've got to do this myself. I can't trust anyone. It can also carry a sense of loneliness, isolation and alienation as well. Um, this, this happened to humanity at what's called the fall. Um, for those of you who don't know, so in the, in the book of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, the first uh, couple created, um, and they had everything. God said you could have anything you want, everything you want, except the fruit of one tree. Um, why did God put us that tree in the garden? The reason God put that tree in the garden is because it is impossible to have pure love without a choice. It's absolutely impossible to have a pure, good, godly love without choice. Because any love where you're compelled to, if there's compulsion involved, it's not love. Because love is at its root, it's selfless, and it involves and it gives me the choice to love people back. Freedom um, and choice was programmed into creation by a father who cannot help but love with this pure love. So when Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, um, what they did when they ate the fruit, they decided that they wanted independence from the father. And that was their choice. And it was to walk away from this relationship and a direct connection with the source of love. And consequently, humanity orphaned itself. And there was also the first lie that was told um, to them, which is if you eat this fruit, then you'll, you'll be perfect. You'll be whole is essentially the lie they were told. So if you do this thing, you will be. That was the first lie that if you perform, someone mentioned earlier about we don't need to perform for love. We don't need to perform for identity. That was the first love. If you do this thing, then you'll be. If you perform, you'll be good enough. That was the first lie that was told to humanity. And this is the root of an orphan heart, that I have to behave, I have to perform, I have to be the best to be noticed. I have to do that, otherwise I won't be loved. I have a friend who is a prison warden at Fowlton Young Offenders Institute, and he said that the 
categorically the number one reason that those young men uh, are in prison is because of one thing, is fatherlessness. Categorically, hands down, not, it doesn't matter to do with kind of where you are in society, your education, none of those things matter. It's fatherlessness that is the greatest cause of that problem. The sense that they're on their own, that they have to protect themselves, that they have no one to kind of cover them, the sense that they have to provide for themselves because there was no one else there to do it. For many of us, we might be able to identify with issues. We may not have been that far down the road, but we see these issues in ourselves, that I've got to be number one, or I've got to fight for my place, or I've got to fight for survival, fight for safety, fight for a place at the table. I need to fight for belonging or love. And we become performance orientated. We lack self-esteem and then we're constantly looking for affirmation and it never is enough. We want the opposite. Let's be honest, I want the opposite. I want peace, not anxiety. I want love, not fear. I want to feel secure, not insecure. I want to feel that I have worth, not worthless. We all want that stuff, don't we? The, The answer to the orphan heart is to be adopted into a family and experience the loving brace of the all-loving Father of God. And that, you'll be surprised to know, is the message of Easter. I am going to talk about Easter. You probably thought I wasn't going to then. The message of Easter is that, that Jesus made a way and possible for every single person, no matter who you are or your past, to have that loving experience, that loving embrace with the Father and to be adopted into his family. When you read the Bible, it's a beautiful love story of God sacrificing to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. And He calls us sons and daughters, adopting us into His family so that we are no longer orphans. Um, I've got a couple of scriptures to come up. One is in the book of Ephesians, where the writer Paul says, um, Praise be to God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, is, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. And then there's another scripture. By the way, there's loads of these scriptures I've just selected too for time. But in Galatians 4, it says, um, that's another book in the New Testament if you're new to all this, um, written by the same guy, Paul, incidentally. It says, when the time set, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit cries out, Abba, Father, not God Almighty, Abba, Father. He's our Abba, Father. And he stands in front of his kids as Abba, Father, but sometimes he stands against the things coming against us as God Almighty. He is still God God Almighty, but he's our Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. The greatest challenge we face in life is believing the story of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. And And that God offers us adoption into his family. And he's freed us from emptiness, from anxiety and sin and a life to a life of freedom, of joy, love and righteousness. This is the point of Easter. So today, as I said, is Easter Sunday. Um, and because um, we had uh, Maundy Thursday, hands up who you went to Maundy Thursday here? 
It's fantastic, wasn't it? Uh, Good Friday, we had Good Friday, um, and then we've got this morning. Well done, Chloe, you went to that one. And, uh, and then obviously tonight as well. And because I was overseeing the Good Friday service, I've been reading the story of Jesus going to the cross, and I noticed that there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative, and his name is Barabbas. We don't know much about Barabbas other than the fact that he was arrested and he was on death row at the same time as Jesus. And he was on death row because he was a murderer, the leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And sometimes when you read in the story, I felt like, like a bit unsure as to why he's in this story at all. Like this is the story of Jesus going to the cross. Jesus has been arrested by the religious elite who put on a sham trial, accusing him of blaspheming God and of claiming to be the king of the Jews. And after this trial, they take Jesus to um, the governor overseeing Rome's occupation in Judea, who's a guy called Pontius Pilate, because in Jewish law, they weren't allowed to kill Jesus, so they tried to get the Romans to do it for them. So imagine with me, if you will, in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hands, um, and I know that there's a tradition that on the holy day, that I will release one of the prisoners on death row. And whoever wins this popularity contest will go free. So Pilate stands on this audacious stage And he now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and the crook. And he says, all right, who do you want? And when I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, this shouldn't be. I'm reading, I'm thinking, on one hand, we've got Jesus, the perfect son of God, God of flesh and bone, moments before his death, having to endure a popularity contest. This is horrendous. This feels like it's, it's gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. And Jesus, what has he done? He's healed. He's restored. He's opened blind eyes. He's opened deaf ears. He's set people free. He healed the leper. He welcomed the outcast. What has Jesus done? So Pilate cries out, who do you want? And the crowd yell back, we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And Pilate thinks, well, the people have spoken. And the people say, give us Barabbas. And the Roman soldiers go up on the platform and they get the key and they put it in the shackles and they unlock the chains. And Barabbas walks down the platform surrounded by all of his thug friends. He's like, my people love me. I don't know who this Jesus guy is, but what I do know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now. No, we don't see any of that in Barabbas. And Jesus is standing there silent for he knew the will of the Father. And he said, it's fine, Father. Let them have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas to treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, no, no. It was the love of a heavenly father. So I'm reading this story the other day and I started to realize who Barabbas really is. It's me, it's you, it's us. Do you know the name Barabbas just means son of a father? It's someone's kid who'd become orphaned and thought, and they got so bound up in chains, they thought they had to fight to break free. Barabbas is the archetype of us with an orphan heart. 
and I'm reading this and I felt God say to me, I love Barabbas. Like, I really love him. I'm like, yeah, but God, it, he's a bad man. He's like, yeah, but I love Barabbas and I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know he'd never acknowledged the free gift? Yeah, but I love Barabbas. Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas, even though he knew he'd walk away from Jesus and his free gift of love and adoption into his family. And it's the same for us. Even before we knew what Jesus had done to set us free, he forgave us of all of our sin, which as Ben said, is just the stuff that ruins our lives and our relationships. And he united us to a loving father and he offered us a new life to be children of the resurrection. But I've noticed, if I'm being honest, even in my own life, even after I've accepted this free gift of life and forgiveness and destiny, sometimes things feel like they can still go a bit wrong. And I can fall back into an orphan mindset where I think I got saved by grace, but now I'm in this deep, dark place. I need to work hard to get myself free. And I feel like Jesus is saying, no, that is the opposite of the gospel when we're feeling bound and in pain and unloved and held under the power of temptation and sin, when we feel like it's controlling us, we often think like, I've got to shake myself free. And Jesus is saying, stop it. No, you don't. That's not what I did. Because we're no match. We have no answer within ourselves. Our own goodness, our own discipline, our own devotion, it will not save us. It won't save us from our pain. It won't save us from painful relationships. It won't save us. There's only one. And he's the one that took our place. He's the one who stood silently on the platform and said, let him have Barabbas, take me. The thing is, how many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate as Barabbas and Jesus starts to take off my chains? I'm like, no. I deserve this, I deserve the guilt, I deserve the consequence, I deserve it all. And Jesus seems to just look at me and says, no son, stop it, you're not an orphan anymore. Let me have it, let me have your sin, let me have your pain. And I can think, God, no, I did it to myself. I deserve it, I deserve the loneliness. I deserve the pain, I deserve the consequences. And he just looks at me and says, give me your pain, son. When I find myself saying no and holding on to my pain, I mean, it's a bit messed up, isn't it, when we're holding on to our pain and the things that are messing us up. This orphan in me is still fighting, saying, no, I've got to work harder. I've got to do better. I've got to try more. It's okay, Jesus, I've got this one. I don't need you. And he just looks at me and says, give me your pain, son. Give me your sin. And it feels like, but God, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sin, son. This is all I've got. I think this is all we've got. We can play church games, we can play games, we can think that some people are better than others. We can try and do our own or we can come to the honest conclusion that it's God and it's God alone. 
Our greatest challenge is not our discipline, our devotion, our focus. Our greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so high, so vast, so deep, so expansive, so inclusive, so welcoming? Give me your pain. And as I see Jesus on the cross, all of mine and all of the world's suffering and sin and pain and evil is swirling around him like a storm cloud trying to block out the light, seeking to destroy God's plan of salvation and restoration and reconciliation. And it's, it's in that moment, Easter is about that moment on the cross when all of my sin, all of our sin, all of our pain, it descends on him, converges in him. And it's in that very moment that moment on the cross that God destroys the power of sin and death converged in Jesus, which is why we call him our saviour because he saved us from that. He took our place as Barabbas and he saved us. Yeah, there's a book in the Old Testament um, from a prophet called Isaiah and it says in there about Jesus, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He took upon himself our pain, our struggles, our sin, our past, and he absorbed all of it into him and destroyed its power over us. But that is not the end of the story. Today is Resurrection Sunday after all, because he didn't just die. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Let's just think about that. Jesus rose from the dead. And the, 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 Jesus rising from the dead is evidence of his defeat of sin and death. Because as much as it could, I see like a cosmic pylon, it could not hold him down and he came back out three days later. And everything about life, absolutely everything that we have to deal with is represented and dealt with in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is evidence that Jesus is God and he freed us and he forgave us and he offers us a new life. He offers us his life. And in that, he offers us his Holy Spirit to be in us and to help us and to guide us. He offers us a life filled with this spirit, the exact same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that, that spirit lives in you now. The same spirit who raises the dead now lives in me and now lives in you. The exact same spirit has unlimited access to the Father's love. The exact same spirit that breaks systems of injustice, who brings wholeness and reconciliation. The same spirit we see at work throughout all of the Bible, who split the seas, who multiplied food, who healed people. And it's this spirit that is restoring us to a place of intimacy that was lost in Eden. So it's thanks to the resurrection that that spirit, the spirit of Jesus lives in us and wants to transform the world around us. And as children of the resurrection, our resurrection life is free from all the stuff that held us back. Now we might have to work through stuff, but God's done all the heavy work. We just have to start to walk in that freedom. Um, Jesus said that whoever believes in him will do greater works than he did. And that's the calling for us because we have the same spirit living within us is to do greater works. Um, that for me is what Easter's about. It's from death to life. We live in a post-cross existence where we are filled by his spirit to be able to do the things that he did because he destroyed our sin and our pain 
and we're offered adoption into his family to experience healing in the loving embrace of a father and to be part of a family that is empowered by the spirit to change the world. And let's be honest, I think this world desperately needs changing right now. All we have to say is okay. All we have to do is say, okay, God, take it all away. I'm giving it to you. I want to be adopted. I want to be brand new. I want your love. It's a free, open-handed gift. God never forces it on us. It's a choice, like I said. And he's offering it to us now. You might have been a Christian for a while. You might not be a Christian at all. But there's always more of him for us. So what we're going to do now is um, Brandon's going to play us a song. Um, and we're going to take this moment to, to engage with God. To say, God, I want you. Can you take my stuff? And then after that, we're going to have a moment for prayer.